This is HiFam. I'm Avital. Studies show there is an increase in selfishness and a decrease in empathy in today's young people. So is there anything us parents can do not to raise a narcissist in a time that seems to celebrate them? I think so. Today, I'll break down the practical steps we can take to raise children who have a healthy self-love, but not an unhealthy obsession with themselves. And what it means is that a lot of concepts from the realm of psychology have crept into the common vernacular and we use them regularly, but often in a misguided or misinformed way. So examples of this are things like the word trauma. Trauma used to mean something quite specific and it used to be defined. And it was relevant really only in terms of either medical emergencies or psychological treatment. Today, we use trauma in a very loose way. There's been something called concept creep, where we use it to describe really any situation that we didn't really enjoy. Anything that was uncomfortable or not pleasant can be described as it was traumatic, even though that is not what trauma used to mean. The same is true of the word triggering or the word psycho. When I say someone's a psycho, I don't necessarily mean that they have psychotic disorders. I mean that they're behaving a little bit crazy or I disagree with them. We use the term bipolar to describe someone who is having some mood swings or being indecisive, even though, again, that has nothing to do with bipolar disorder. And we use the term depressed very loosely just to say I'm feeling a little bit blue, I'm feeling a bit down or I'm a bit sad. These terms have clinical definitions and they mean something and they don't mean what we typically use them as in day-to-day life. And that can be a little bit of a problem because it means that we can't be precise or accurate. And it means that often the terms themselves actually lose their meaning. If I use the terms in just a cheap, easy, you know, throwaway way, then we don't really understand the difference between abuse, that is just a term I'm saying, oh, someone was mean to me, and abuse that actually needs to be treated or stopped or even handled by the police. So it can become a little bit of a problem. Now, narcissism is one of those terms. There's a rise in the use of the word narcissist or narcissism in just a Google search. You can see that it has risen dramatically over the past decade. And people are throwing it around uh, to mean lots of different things, but basically to mean selfish. Because we all have a cognitive bias that protects our ego, we tend to not see selfishness in ourselves. We tend to excuse our selfish behaviors as logical, as something that is warranted and justified and makes sense and totally valid. But when other people are behaving in selfish ways, we brand them and label them as narcissists. But the truth is that narcissism does mean something. And especially in the way that it's being used, it typically tends to point to some kind of personality disorder, a defect. If someone is a narcissist, we tend to think of them as having a problem, particularly narcissistic personality disorder. And what is that? Let me give you the definition. It's really interesting. Narcissistic personality disorder, I'm reading here, is a mental health condition in which people have an unreasonably high sense of their own importance. They need and seek too much attention and want people to admire them. People with this disorder may lack the ability to understand or care about the feelings of others. So really, narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder, is about a lack of empathy. It often is rooted and stems from extreme vulnerability and actually low self-worth. People who are easily upset, easily offended, easily taking things personally, the slightest criticism can really devolve them into a meltdown. And there are some very specific symptoms that happen when someone has destructiveness, narcissistic personality disorder. They expect to be recognized as superior, even if they haven't achieved anything. 
they make their talents and their self-worth and their importance or their beauty or anything good about them seem bigger than they are. So they have an inflated ego. Even though inside they actually have an impoverished sense of self and an impoverished ego, they are constantly being grandiose and inflating themselves. They take offense and they find any kind of criticism or any kind of time when they're not being treated as special to be a big problem, right? They really expect special favors. They expect other people to do what they want without questioning them. They take advantage of others. They're okay trampling others in order to get what they want. They have an inability or an unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others. They just can't see other people. And they're often envious and jealous and believe that others are envious and jealous of them. So they believe that people are really driven by the same kind of things that they're driven by, by a need to get ahead, a need to trample others, a need for recognition, a need for awards and achievement and ceremony. They feel that they deserve all these privileges and special treatments. And at the same time, they also have a really hard time managing their emotions. So these are really hard people to live with, right? They become impatient and angry when they don't receive their special treatment. They have major problems in interacting with others, always getting offended. They react with rage or contempt. They try to belittle other people to talk down to them, right? And to make themselves feel important, they put other people down. So these are people who have crazy shame and insecurity and humiliation and they feel like they're going to be exposed and they have imposter syndrome and all these types of things under the surface. But on the surface, they are really inflated. They're really grandiose. They're really kind of insufferable because they always think that they deserve the best, that they should get recognition. And they're very, very kind of pompous in that sense. That is narcissistic personality disorder. And that is something that I believe all of us parents want desperately for our children to avoid. And the really good news here is that it's actually quite rare. Studies show that it exists in anywhere between zero and six-ish percent of the population. So hopefully you don't have someone in your life with narcissistic personality disorder, and hopefully your child won't have it either. When someone does have this disorder, it's particularly difficult to treat because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. That's part of the disorder is that they think they're amazing and perfect. And so they won't seek treatment. They won't agree to therapy. They won't agree to looking at themselves and trying to figure out how they can improve. That's just beyond anything that they would want to think about. But narcissism is present in all of us. We all have a dose of narcissism. And this is basically our self-regard, how we think about ourselves. And there was this movement in the 80s of the self-esteem movement where really a lot of psychologists and thought leaders thought that it would be a great idea to inflate children's egos to really boost their self-esteem and do so with a lot of praise and a lot of just reflecting to them how special and amazing that they are. And we found that that really does not work, that this kind of inflated ego that is based on other people pouring the accolades and the achievements and the trophies and the awards and the stickers and, you know, giving you the gold stars or or the grades, that doesn't actually work. It might create a sense of this kind of fake and overblown narcissism and and self-esteem, but it doesn't help people to truly feel comfortable in their own skin, proud of who they are, confident in their way of life. It just actually makes them feel a lot more insecure and a lot more vulnerable. So we do want healthy narcissism, right? We do want our children to regard themselves as attractive, for example, right? Be able to look in the mirror and think, wow, I look beautiful. That's not a bad thing. We do want them to feel proud of their achievements. We do want them to enjoy their own thoughts and their own company. We do want them to have a healthy dose of self-love, but we want to avoid selfishness, right? To an extreme or to a place that actually is not pro-social, is not going to help them in their relationships, is going to make them unpleasant to be around, and is not going to garner them any favors with the people around them. 
Now, I do want to mention that young narcissism is totally normal. So if all of those traits that I just said about destructive narcissism ring a bell and you're like, oh my God, my two-year-old is exactly like that. I want to say that that is normal for two-year-olds. Two-year-olds are supposed to go through a developmental stage of narcissism. Just as they're differentiating from their adult, right? In the beginning, they're kind of enmeshed with us and they see us as one unit. As soon as they start to see themselves as a separate unit, they also start to see themselves as the superior and most important unit. And that's why two-year-olds' most common words are things like, I, me, mine. And they're constantly taking things from other people, throwing tantrums when they don't get things first, really just only thinking about themselves. They don't see that you're tired. They don't see that you also are hungry. They don't see that they need to wait, right? These are the types of things that two-year-olds really can't see. And it's our role as parents, it's our job to socialize them into empathy, into patience, into feeling of putting others first sometimes, of waiting, of sharing, all of those pro-social things that we want our child to learn are a completely normal developmental process. So don't go thinking, oh no, my child is already a narcissist because that is absolutely what they should be if they're in the toddler stage. By the time a child is about four or five, we want to be able to start seeing real ability to suppress their own impulses, their own desires in that moment for the sake of others sometimes, right? That's things like turn-taking. That's things like sharing. That's things like being able to apologize when you've done something wrong. That's things like being able to control some of your impulses to hurt other people or to trample them in some ways. That's things like learning not to brag, learning to be a good winner and a good loser, learning that you, you know, shouldn't show off, learning to handle jealousy and not to make others jealous. That's the type of thing that we want our four, five, six-year-olds to be getting really good at, to practice, right? They're not going to be great at it. They're still learning and they're still developing and they'll still have quite high narcissism as children, but it's totally normal and totally okay. With that said, even babies do have the ability to develop empathy and to recognize and take other people's perspectives. Dr. Alison Gopnik conducted an experiment in which the psychologists gave 14 and 18-month-old babies bowls of raw broccoli and goldfish crackers. The babies tasted the food and made faces or gestures indicating whether they liked it or not. The psychologists then tasted the food from each bowl and either made a disgusted or a happy face. So half the time the researchers matched the baby's reactions to the food and the other half of the time the experimenters demonstrated the opposite reactions. And they found that when the experimenter put her hand out to the babies and asked for some food, the 18-month-old babies would give her the food that the experimenter liked rather than the food that the babies liked. In other words, they were able to read the experimenter's facial expressions and understand that even though I like the goldfish crackers, this woman in front of me likes the broccoli and I will hand her the food that she likes. And this demonstrates that they are able to take the perspective of another person, even as young as 18 month old. And I'm sure you've seen this with your own child. It's pretty amazing to think about. Now, another thing to bring up when we talk about narcissism is that there is very often a claim that the next generation is ruined. I know that I sometimes talk this way. People often say, oh, today's young people, right? Today's young people are so narcissistic. The whole generation is ruined. We ruined them. Maybe it's narcissism. Maybe it's other things like, oh, they're weak or they're incapable or they're ignorant or anything that we perceive. Often, this is more about them simply being young than anything else. 
Now, do I think that there is a rise in selfishness today? Yes, I think that's pretty well documented and I think it's true. But are there much higher rates of destructive narcissistic personality disorder? I don't know that there's a reason for concern or any reason to believe that. And if you think back to yourself as a teenager, you were probably a lot more selfish than you are today. I think that's part of growing up. As we've said, two-year-olds, fully narcissistic. It takes some time to learn out of those traits and to develop our empathy and our perspective. And that's something that we're going to talk about today in great, you know, pragmatic terms so that you know exactly what you can do to avoid those things. But I just have to read this quote. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. Children now are tyrants and they tyrannize their teachers. Who has written this quote? Well, none other than Socrates in 470 BC. Okay, so this is an ancient sentiment, right? The tendency to think that the next generation is ruined. And we need to be aware of that and not just pin and project all of that onto our children. They're doing great. It's okay. But there is something that is different about today's day and age, and that is social media. Social media is something that we do need to be aware of. And this is my first pragmatic tip, okay? And the reason I say this is not to be a fear monger and is not to be a technophobe and is not to say that you can't use technology, but I do want to caution that when you think about the algorithms on social media platforms like TikTok or Instagram, they are often promoting and rewarding narcissistic behaviors and tendencies. Things like looking at myself, celebrating myself, talking about myself, branding myself, projecting myself, all of this stuff, which unfortunately is part of the course in modern life, especially if you're running an online business. I know that I have to put myself out there all the time in my own work. And it is a struggle and an emphasis that I, I have of trying to avoid the obsession with my own image, right? That's very hard to do when you're a teenager, when you're young, when you are competing for likes, for views, when people, strangers, are judging you on your looks, on your dance abilities, on your content creation. These are not great things to expose our children to. I think that it is absolutely detrimental to their mental health, for them to be being measured and being evaluated constantly, and for them to put themselves out there. Basically, they're putting themselves out there and saying, judge me, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm worthy, tell me I'm good looking. Tell me with the likes and the clicks and the views and the comments. And very often they're not going to get what they want. And the truth is they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If they get the praise and all of the compliments and all of the likes and all of the exposure and all of the views, then they are getting this addiction to external validation. They are being told through that dopamine hit that they keep getting, that it feels really good to be praised and to be admired and to be oogled at by others, by strangers or by my friends. And that is going to set them on a path of constantly trying to feed the algorithm, to feed themselves to that monster, basically. That's not good. And they're damned if they don't, because if they don't get that praise and if people don't think they look great or if they get criticism, then they have put themselves out there for judgment and they've come up wanting. And that is absolutely going to translate in their mind as I am not worthy. I am useless. Or maybe I need to change myself in some dramatic way in order to be liked and loved and accepted and worthy. You need to be aware that social media is not a great plan for children to be spending time on especially young teenagers, I would just caution on that regard. Okay, what else can we do? We can try and avoid social media platforms. What else can we do? Well, 
The first thing to do, and this is counterintuitive, but it's do not make your child feel special. Do not put an emphasis on special or unique or different or extra in any kind of way. Gifted, you know, something that the world hasn't seen before, amazing, incredible. Just embrace normal for a little bit. Just embrace the fact that we're all kind of average and or most of us are average by definition. It's okay to be just normal, that they don't need to be special. That, yeah, they're special to you. You love them with all your heart. Maybe you would die for them, right? I bet you would. But they're not a special person in the world. Everyone's special and no one's special, right? And the ill-advised guidance from the 80s that we should make our children feel special and always tell them how special they are has actually led to this inflated ego that's very easy to pop. Because the truth is, most of us aren't special. Most of us are not, you know, soccer stars or movie stars or celebrities or prodigies in any kind of way. Most of us have to put in a lot of effort and move forward in life and we'll have some achievements and we'll have some setbacks and failures. And that's what life is built of. So if you think you are or you need to be special in some kind of way, you're really setting yourself up for a lifetime of disappointment and failure. Because you might pump them full of special, but their teacher, their boss, their girlfriend, whatever, other people in the future may not see that super special status that they have. And then they're going to feel deprived. Then they're going to feel like, oh my God, I lost something. I used to be special and I'm not anymore. What am I even good for if I'm not special? So don't, don't put any kind of emphasis on that. Just share with them that you love them deeply, that they're special to you, that they belong in this family, that they're accepted as they are for who they are. And that just like everyone else, they have a lot of work to do. We all have to work on ourselves. None of us are born perfect. They're flawed. They're imperfect. And whilst they're accepted and loved, they also need to improve themselves just like all of us. They need to learn. They need to try. They need to put in effort. They need to expand. They need to master their own character. They need to master their own rage or anger or disappointment or jealousy or laziness. Those are things that they need to work on. So no, they're not just some special creature, some unicorn. They're a human being and human beings are wonderful and lovable and also imperfect. That's really important. We'll be right back to the show. But first, let me ask you, are you trying to get actual productive work done and parent little kids all at the same time? I know what that's like. I kept my day job, started a side hustle and scaled my business all whilst birthing, feeding, raising and schooling my five children at home. And I know that any tool that can help me stay organized and productive is a lifesaver. That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to this week's sponsor, Sansama. Sansama is not just a plain old to-do list productivity app. It has amazing features that help us multitasking parents with big, busy lives stay on track with our to-do list and goals. For example, I love that it prompts me to plan my day the night before, including a shutdown ritual time. I love that it has a focus mode, which helps me focus on just the tasks for today and prevent any distractions from popping up. It's able to pull my tasks from email, Slack, calendar, all into one place so that I know I'm not missing anything important. If there's one thing you want to avoid as an ambitious parent, it's burnout. It's real, folks. Everyone suffers from some degree of it, especially nowadays when the lines between work and life are so blurred. Now, remote work is great for us parents, but sometimes it's almost as if you're not working from home, you're living at work. That's why Sansama actually prompts me when I'm scheduling too much work in a day and helps me protect the time that I want to unwind from work and be present with my family. It's wonderful to see a productivity app help us to rest and focus on other important aspects of our lives as parents. And they told me that over 8,000 people use this to prevent burnout. 
Sansama is almost like having a personal assistant and it's free to try. You don't even have to put your credit card in. So if you're working, writing, running a side hustle or starting a business from home, go to try.sansama.com forward slash hi fam. That's try.sansama, S-U-N-S-A-M-A dot com forward slash hi fam, H-I-F-A-M. You've got to check it out. All right, back to the show. The next thing is to praise effort, to praise kindness, to praise giving, to praise sportsmanship, to praise the behaviors that they display that are pro-social, that are growth-oriented. Not to praise things like, you're amazing, you're so good at that, you're always so good at that, right? Not these kind of vague totalitarian labels, but rather very specific, very process-oriented, very progress-oriented, and very oriented on the type of person that we want to see, a giving, empathic, patient person. And I'll tell you a really clear example. Say my child plays soccer and they play really well and they win the game, but a kid on the other team got hurt during the game. And I see that my child is concerned for that kid, comes over and cares, you know, says something about it. How am I going to praise my child about the game? Am I going to say, you won, you're such a winner, you're the best, trophy, woohoo, right? Or am I going to say, wow, it's really great that you won, but what I'm really impressed by was your sportsmanship was how you cared about your teammates. You passed, you were a team player, you didn't brag when you won, you cared about that kid who got hurt, right? Am I going to put an emphasis on all the pro-social ways that my child behaved or just on the achievement? And sometimes a child who gets the message that the achievement is the most important thing might be willing to trample other kids to hurt other people in the process. Like if my child gets the message from me that winning at soccer is all I care about, is is what makes them special, is why they should feel so great about themselves, then they might be willing to be, you know, I don't know, to lie, to get ahead, to mistreat others to get ahead, right? to make their friends seem like less good soccer players so that they get chosen for things, et cetera, right? It kind of incentivizes them to win at all costs. So I get the importance of winning and I get the importance of the accolade itself, the achievement itself. It's not nothing. Winning, cool, well done. Like, yeah, we, sure, we want you to have those experiences. But more important than winning is how you won, right? How you won. Did you win because you worked hard? Did you win because you tried hard? You put in the effort, you put in the hours, you really practiced. Did you win because you were a great team player, because you really followed instruction really well? And when you won, were you kind to others? Were you helpful? Were you useful? Were you empathic? Those are much more interesting aspects of winning than just the fact that you got more goals. And the same is true for failure. When my child fails, okay, maybe let's say my child doesn't get a good grade on a test because my child didn't have enough time to study for that test because they were busy helping the grandparents with something. Well, I might say to my child, you know, we're going to have to rework the balance. I need to make sure that you can do well on your test and have enough time to study. But I'm so proud of you that you were spending that time helping grandma and grandpa. That's even more important to me than a test or just as important, right? So notice that if we focus only on the things that are measurable and that are kind of the achievements, then we are often obscuring the importance of other qualities, such as giving, such as patience, such as humility, such as being empathic or being aware of other people, being willing to help, 
right? Like, are we encouraging our child to slow down in the rush to win something or to achieve something, to slow down and to help others along the way, even if it hurts their results, even if it slows them down too? Like, can you slow down your running in the race because you're helping a friend who hurt their leg? Wow, that's amazing. That's praiseworthy, right? And I want you to make your praise very specific and focused on what's really happening in the moment, not these general terms like, wow, you're amazing at piano. No, you sat and practiced today so beautifully. And especially I want you to focus on overcoming struggle, right? Like it was hard. You didn't get it right in the beginning, but you did it again and again. And now you have accomplished it and it sounds beautiful. Well done. The next thing I want to mention is that you shouldn't shy away from praising others and admiring others and sharing other people's stories as well. I think parents often feel like, oh, I shouldn't show my child that I value other people because they'll feel less valued. Instead, bring your child into the fold to enjoy and celebrate others. For example, at dinner time, often in my family, uh, we'll have a conversation about something we're grateful for that someone else did in the family. And I'll encourage my children, hey, this is a great time to thank each other or to note what you're grateful for about each other. Thank you for helping me tidy my room. Thank you for fetching my backpack when I forgot it. Thank you for reading me that book. Thank you for playing with me this afternoon. Thank you for helping mom and dad with the the dinner table so I could go and have my shower early, right? There are so many ways of thanking and noticing gratitude for other people that are going to improve our child's ability to see the good qualities in others, not just in themselves. And that shouldn't be something that we shy away from, I think, but something that we encourage. Another really important one is not to obsess over immutable characteristics and traits. There is a huge obsession in modern day parenting and in young people with identity, with our identity. And I understand the need to understand who we are. Self-understanding is important. However, I think the big mistake with all of this is that the focus in people's identity has become about what they are. The truth is identity isn't about what you are, right? How you're born, right? It's not about the time and place and body that you're born in the culture that you're born in, the ethnicity, the gender, all of that stuff is not what you are. It's not your identity. That's not what's important. Or more, let me say that more clearly, it's not what makes you who you are. Immutable characteristics, I think, should be the least interesting aspect of our children. I think we should share with them that their skin color, that their sexuality, that their gender, that their race, that where they were born, their language, their height, their eye color, their abilities, all of those things, their diagnostic labels, all of the immutable traits are not very interesting. They're not what's important about them. That's just whatever. That's the package they came in. That's the cards they were dealt. It's as interesting as the year you were born, right? You have no control over it. It's just a fact. And that's what you are. What is very interesting is who you are, who you become, right? And you're not born anything special because of your immutable traits. You had no say in them. You put no effort into them. You know, whether you perceive them as good or bad is uninteresting. Now the question is what you do with them. You can do special things when you work hard. And if you're lucky, right? If you're lucky and you work hard, then you might be able to achieve something. You might be able to grow into something to be really proud of. You might be able to overcome difficult things. And that's who you are. So don't focus on what they are, but on who they become. And notice that I am not busy telling my children, and I don't think we should be busy telling our children, that they are so great. No, None of us is born great. None of us is great when we're eight. None of us is great when we're 16. And most of us aren't great when we're 22. We become great by working hard, by investing, by putting in the effort, by overcoming challenge, by caring to grow. And so, yeah, they're great for now, but they're not done. They're not done growing. They're not cooked. None of us is. That's a lifelong process, right? 
So breathe into, you know, give them the inspiration of who they could become, of what they could create. And this isn't just about saying, oh, you're just about potential. You're just, you, you have potential, right? No, you're loved now. You're worthy now, right? I enjoy you now. There are great things about you now. But the really amazing thing is to think about the process that you're in, to think about what you could become if you try, if you overcome, et cetera. And that leads me into the next point, and that is to break down success for our children. Show them that anyone can, but they have to work hard to get there. In other words, people, as I've just said, are not born with a trophy in their hand. They're not born worthy of just praise and admiration, right? They need to earn that. They need to work for that. They are born worthy of love. They are born worthy, full stop. Yes, that is true. But they're not born worthy of special accolades, of special descriptors, of special treatment. That is something that people earn. When you work really hard, when you sacrifice a lot, and yes, I use the word sacrifice. I know it's so unsexy, but it's true. You do need to sacrifice. You do need to give up on your own creature comforts, on your own just ease, you know, and pleasure right now in order to achieve hard things. So show them what it takes to be, you know, someone they admire. Let's say they admire Messi, okay, or Beyonce, right? Don't let them just think, oh, Messi was born Messi. Beyonce was born Beyonce. That's why they're, you know, bajillionaires, or that's why they have all these fans, or that's why they're celebrated and win awards. No. They put in hard work, they put in effort, and they were lucky, and they had mentors, and they put in many, many, many hours, and they made tremendous sacrifices, and they had to face haters and criticism, right? We have to break down for them that no one is just special, right? No one is just born successful and worthy of praise, and whether or not you become a Messi or a Beyonce, you are worthy of love. And that is the next point, which is love them unconditionally that isn't based on what they achieve right? Of course we care and we want them to achieve and we want them to succeed, but offer them just love for being normal, for being who they are, warts and all. Like, I love you despite the fact that you have anger management issues. I love you despite the fact that you don't tidy up your room, including that fact, right? I love you with all of your downsides. I love you even when you talk back to me. I love you even when you are, you know, failing at school. I love you even when you're having a really hard time being kind to your baby brother. I love you. Do I expect more of you? Yes. Do I think you should grow and try and expand and get better? Yes. But you're not going to be more or less loved if you become the next messy. That is not how you earn love. That is not how you earn worthiness. You are loved full stop. That is a completely separate issue from how we treat you in terms of your achievement, in terms of your growth, in terms of your success. Okay, now I'll end with teaching children empathy, to teaching children to take perspectives, to teaching children basically the golden rule, to understand other people and to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? We want to teach them actively to take other people's perspectives, to see the world through other people's eyes, to see that they're not the only ones wanting the piece of cake with the special sprinkles on top. They're not the only ones waiting for a shower. They're not the only ones who need help with their homework. They're not the only ones who want to go on the swing in the playground. And that other people have struggles and that those struggles are meaningful and important and sometimes much greater than ours. And so it's helpful to take that perspective and to be empathic and to put our own challenges in perspective, right? Sharing other people's perspectives can come in the form of reading biographies, watching movies about other people who have had tremendous struggle and they've overcome them, talking about it, 
telling the stories. It could be about telling stories from your own life. It could be about just showing them other people's facial expressions. Like if you have a baby at home, you can show your five-year-old, look, can you see he doesn't like that? Can you see the face he's making? That means that's uncomfortable for him. That hurts him, right? You know, it's interesting. You like that food and they don't like that food. So let's think of another food that we can make that everybody likes, right? Just introducing more and more ways of giving, of empathizing, of self-sacrificing. Like, hey, would you be willing to wait? My children sometimes fight over who gets in the car first. Ridiculous, I know, but these are kids, right? So this is what they fight over. And I talk to them and say, do you want to be part of a family where we fight over things like who gets into the car first? Or do you want to be part of a family where we say things to each other like, hey, you go first. It's fine. I can wait. No problem. It's no big deal. Because if you want to be part of a family where people give to each other, where people are patient with each other, where people are willing to share and to take turns and to see each other's needs, you're going to have to behave that way. That's the golden rule. You have to treat others how you want to be treated. And then you have to show them that other people really value and appreciate it. Look, you made them feel really good. Thank you so much for letting your baby brother get in the car first. You've made him feel really good. And that should make you feel good about yourself. So if I had to sum that up, it's basically not making your child feel special about themselves, but helping them to make others feel special. And in turn, that will make them feel good. That will make them feel very valuable, very meaningful, right? Like they're real contributors in the world. Like it's not just about me, me, me and what I get and me getting mine first, me taking for me, but it's actually about what I have to give. I hope these tips were helpful for you in raising a child who is not narcissistic. And I am curious to hear, did you agree? Did you disagree? Use this conversation to start one of your own with your partner, with your friends, or even with your child. And if this was interesting and helpful to you, then I would love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening and share it with other parents who want to build a strong, unbreakable family.